Welcome to this week's episode of the HC Hive, a podcast about all things HCI, UX, and grad school. We're now in Hershali, students in Georgia Tech's Human Computer Interaction Program. In this After Dark episode, we will be chatting with the MSHCI director, Dr. Henneman. He'll be sharing some inside scoops about the application process, grad school, and industry advice. Also, some wild stories about students, and of course, some hot takes. So before we get into it, why don't you give us a quick introduction about yourself, Dr. Henneman? Sure thing. And first, I want to thank both of you, Mal and Harshali, for doing this podcast all year. I think it's been an incredible addition to the MSHCI program, and you guys have just done a wonderful job of showing the the breadth and depth of the students who are in the program and their interests. So thank you very much for, for what you've been doing. Um, so my name is Dick Henneman. I am the director of Georgia Tech's Masters in HCI program. Just a little bit about my background. I've, I've been in this job since uh, winter of 2015. And before that, my career has been in industry in uh, a variety of UX, HCI management kind of positions. Um, and that came after I got my PhD in industrial engineering here at Georgia Tech. So that's a little bit about my background. Great. Well, welcome, Dr. Hedeman, and thank you for giving us that short and sweet introduction. Um, so both of us are really excited to have you on an After Dark bonus episode of the podcast. So you can think of today's episode as like a director's cut, a tell-all, or behind-the-scenes scoop. So to get us started, what does being the director of a graduate program like MSHCI entail, and how might your position do you think differ from your peers who direct other grad programs? So I'm, I'm going to address this you know, just from my perspective, because to be honest, I don't know exactly what other directors of master's programs do. But fundamentally, I view my role as being uh, in support of the students in the program. I think you know, the, the reason why we're doing this is to educate students and to prepare you guys for career in, um, in HCI and UX. So within that, I, I like to think about the job as the different groups of people I interact with. So, you know, first and foremost is, are the students and um, the way I interact with students has to do with talking about jobs and how to you know, negotiating salaries and how to find jobs and that kind of thing project-related work, classes, both making recommendations about what classes students might take, but also teaching our uh, professional practice course in the, in the fall. Um, admissions is a, is a big part of the job. The other, another group that I interact with a lot are faculty members. There's a ton of HCI-relevant faculty at Georgia Tech. I think at latest count, it's over 60. Um, and I talk to them regarding projects, the classes they're teaching, scheduling, funding opportunities for students. Also, as I hear opportunities from industry, I'll talk with faculty and who might be interested in those areas. I also interact with uh, Georgia Tech administration. Particularly, it seems like getting advice on things, but also um, getting approval for things. So like if we're making a change to the curriculum or admission decisions. I also interact with um, staff. In particular, um, I interact with Danielle, who is our academic professional on kind of all those 
different things that come up for students along the way that, that need some kind of variation in curriculum or approval for something. Um, I work with finance in terms of um, expenses and budgeting. And also I work with, uh, I have an admin, Carolyn, who um, helps a lot with, with scheduling and getting um, different things approved that students need, like travel authorizations. I also, because this is a professional degree program, I interact with industry and getting um, industry support for student projects and um, job opportunities, um, speaking opportunities to come to campus. And then the final group are our alumni that, um, you know, we're, we're working to try to keep our alumni involved in the program. Many of them are interested in supporting current students in the program. And we also um, provide, you know, job opportunities, uh, promote those that we hear about for our alumni. So that's kind of the main responsibilities, I think, in terms of the, the different groups that I interact with. It's a, um, it's, it's a job I love. It's, uh, I really enjoy working with like the new stuff that comes up day to day. It's a great position to be in. Let's see, you asked also, um, how does this differ from, from you know, other organizations, other program directors? And I think the fact that this program is multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary, I'm never sure what's the, the right word to use, uh, but it means that there's a lot of interaction with four different entities, four different schools, four different colleges on campus that, um, you know, and each of them have their own quirks. And that also means we have a diverse student body who are enrolled in the program through these different, through these different disciplines. I think it also differs from other programs in that it's a professional degree because our students are paying, you know, a premium to be in the program. I think that means that there's a lot of things that um, the program does to support those students uh, that probably goes above what's being done in, in some other programs. So yeah, that, I think that summarizes my sense of what's different with this job uh, compared to other director jobs. Cool, that's, that's a really sort of extensive list of you know, functions that come out of all the different entities that you interact with. And it seems like on a day-to-day -day basis, you're, you know, interacting with different parts of Georgia Tech, but also different students, different people in industry. Um, so that's a very sort of people-oriented job, which is really interesting to hear. Um, and we definitely see it in how, you know, you've helped us through the program. So thank you for that. Yeah, um, yeah. And something else that came to mind that, that started this spring, um, I'm now part of a Slack group that has the directors of other HCI programs, which has been really interesting where we can kind of compare notes and see how things are being done at different programs and compare differences. So that's, that's been another, it, it's, it's not like a uh, main part of my job, but it's interesting to have that avenue to have contact with these other programs. I bet. Yeah, that does sound really interesting just because HCI is kind of young and, you know, everybody's kind of figuring it out. So I bet that must be like a really interesting conversation to have with, you know, other directors. 
but you know looking at kind of the way you see your job sort of play out whether it's interacting with all these groups um, you see maybe even other program directors and how they're sort of defining what it means to teach HCI and, and teach HCI in academia what you just described was that always kind of what you had envisioned for you know this role like what what did you think this role was and how does that reflect in kind of what the work is today? Yeah, I, I, I knew this job was going to be really different from what I had been doing in industry. Um, so when I started in 2015, remember the, the program had already been in existence for like 20 years. Um, and so I think there's a professor, Al Botter, who started the program in 1996 and then um, other Prior directors included Professor Beth Minot and Melody Jackson. And before I started um, was Jim Foley. And um, I had known Jim for many years. And he um, approached me. I was on the advisory board for the MSHCI program at the time when I worked at at and And Jim approached me uh, to see if I'd be interested. He, he talked about stepping down. And also, he had the vision to transition the program from kind of a traditional master's degree program to this professional degree program. And so he, he thought it was key to get someone with industry experience into that role as a professor of the practice uh, who would be a member of the academic faculty, so would have the credibility with the other faculty members, but who also understood how HCI and UX were being done in industry. And so Jim gave me, um, you know, he, he was really helpful in giving me background about the program, its history, and how it was structured, and what the job entailed. And then um, he worked with me my first semester in the position and gradually turned over responsibility for the job. So it was just a, a great way to come up to speed from you know an expert at uh, someone who had been doing the job for I don't know ten years or five years or so, um, and so I was able to you know I came into the job with a, a vision that I wanted to have more industry focus in the position, but still maintain kind of rigorous academics and research element in the program. And I think we've been able to do that. You know I think if you look at the PPP and the uh, the course that I, seminar that I do in the fall, um, we've been able to introduce more and more elements of professional development. So like the public speaking piece of it, the uh, mock interview piece of it, the resume preparation. Even with interactivity, we've transitioned that from kind of a, a research showcase to um, uh, interview job fair kind of opportunities. Um, in 2017, we had a um, academic program review where um, outside academics, kind of top of the field, came in and did a review of the program, and um, you know, named it as one of the top programs in, in the U.S. In, in HCI professional HCI programs. And um, I think that was a real validation that we were going in the right direction in, in terms of um, turning the program into a professional degree program. And I, I see that as, as continuing. So I feel pretty positive about the, the direction that we've been taking the program since I, I joined it. Yeah, I think what you just mentioned about um, combining the like 
rigorous academics and rigorous research along with getting that professional development. So I think at least for like, I guess the two years that Harshali and I have been in the program, I feel like that has really shown. Um, And what's really interesting is I feel like within our cohort, even or within the students amongst the two years, I've noticed like some of our peers really lean into like research side and um, volunteer in labs or do a lot of research assistantships and uh, write academic papers that it's really cool that eventually get published and everything like that in different academic journals. And then there's some others who really lean into the more professional side um, and pick up like internships and um, even like freelance work um, and all of those things. So yeah, I feel like the vision you just described is, has been pretty prevalent and will probably continue to improve, which is pretty cool. Um, But kind of going off of that, Dr. Henneman, um, there's a lot of like moving parts of this vision. And earlier you talked about um, having to interact with a lot of different groups on campus, outside of campus. Um, But what's the most challenging part about your role? Um, Sorry, I interrupted. No, you're good. (laughs) And most challenging part is admissions, I would say. I mean, there's there's many parts that are challenging, but I think, uh, you know, like in this last, go around, we had over 900 applicants, uh, you know, aiming for around 60 to enroll in the fall. And I mean, that's, it's hard to do that, uh, to, to go through these incredibly qualified people and their applications and to decide who gets in and who, who gets out. I, I, cause I, I feel like I, I owe it when going through those applications to review all of them and um, uh, to make the best decision that, that I can. So I think that's, I think that's hard. I think it's, it could be that I make it harder than it needs to be. I think you could also adopt a more um, automated process. Like we're just going to look at people who have, you know, grade point average above X. And, but I think you, we want to look at the whole person that's reflected in the application and find students who are, who are passionate about HCI, who are going to succeed in the program, and also who represent kind of diversity of background and diversity of thought. And it's hard to do that just based on numbers. I think you need to dig into the, the details. Let me go back to another point I wanted to make about uh, on your previous question about what I was envisioning and how well we've done. Another important piece of that is the idea of community. And this may be based on my own experience in, in grad school when I had a really tight cohort, you know, where we supported each other and they really became my, my peer group, my support group. And I view, view that as being an important element of the MSHCI program. And we put a lot of things in place to try to build that sense of community with, within the program. Yeah, we definitely get that sense of community both previously when we were when we started out the program in person and even when we went remotely I, I feel like the slack channel was always a place that people quote unquote like hung out uh, what what would you say is the best part about your role then um you mentioned community but are there other parts that you would say is your favorite yeah i think there's two things i mean there's a lot of things that i i love about this but one is working with students and seeing them be successful. So at the end of the semester, you know, we, we have the student master's project presentations. And 
you've probably heard Carrie and me say they, they get better and better, but this last go around, they were just consistently like really high quality projects. And it was just so gratifying to see students putting together everything they had learned over the, learned over the two years uh, to put that together into these really great projects. Um, and so I, I got a lot of personal gratification on that, even though I wasn't directly, you know, directing that many of the, the projects that were, the students did, uh, but, but that was a good feeling. I also love to hear um, how our alumni are doing. Like, so I've been working with students now since uh, the class had graduated in 2015. And, you know, I'm seeing on LinkedIn where they're being promoted to higher level positions in the companies or they move to different jobs and they're, you know, moving up at, at higher levels. So that's, um, that's been gratifying too. Past spring, I was contacted by a student who graduated a couple years ago and he said he wanted to make what was a pretty large donation to the program and because he said it changed his life and I thought that was really, really nice to hear. This company was doing like 200% matching and so, you know, we, we ended up getting some money in the program that we'll be able to use, you know, to, to fund lots of different things. But one, one thing we're looking at is have more support for students who want to compensate uh, participants in research studies, which because of the way Georgia Tech finances are set up, it could be tricky to, to do that. But we can put this in a fund that will make that easier to, to use. So that, that was really gratifying. That's, that's really great to hear. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what all the alums of, you know, what my cohort is going to do. Um, everybody seems to be really set up for success. So it'll be really cool. And I bet it's really cool to see it from your position. Um, to see, you know, wave after wave of student kind of graduate and move on into the world um, and take kind of interesting journeys past grad at Georgia Tech. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. But, you know, talking about admissions and kind of the challenges of your role, um, I'm sure you get a lot of questions from prospective students and um, especially around application season, which I guess will start up again in the fall and sort of leading into the spring. Since we're here, since we have you, um, what are some of like those FAQs? What are some frequently asked questions? And how do students normally reach out to you? Yeah, usually uh, how they reach out to me is on our website. There's a contact us page with a, uh, you can send an email and it comes to me. I think Danielle might be copied on it too, but I usually feel it's important for me to respond to those because I think it uh, sends a good message when the program director is reaching out directly to the students who are, you know, potential applicants who are asking for answers. I don't always do that, but usually I, I do. And to be honest, most of the questions I get asked can be answered on our website, but I don't like to say read the website. So um, I'll, I'll answer the, the question, but typical ones are, most common one is, when is the application deadline? And that's February 1st, everyone who might be listening. It is every year at 11.59 p.m. So it could be that we need to emphasize that more on the website. Another common question is, what should go into my portfolio? And uh, I try to put this more nicely in my response, uh, but I, it's whatever you think should go in there. So we learned you know, something about what, what you've done. It's like, there's a lot of right ways you can go about creating a, a portfolio. 
and we want to learn something about you and what you think is important about what you've done. So um, you, you I, I don't think it's my job to help you create that. So that's typically the response I'll give. Related question I get is, what should go into my personal statement? And it's kind of the same thing. It's this is your chance to tell us something about you that maybe isn't reflected in a grade point average or a, a test score or you know what we might hear from letter writers. So you know, make make this personal. Make this about you. What are you passionate about? What what why is the MSHA program at Georgia Tech right right for you? I will say a lot of people kind of follow. Sometimes those fall into a pattern, and I'd say the most common classic opener for a personal statement is something like, I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up when I read this Design of Everyday Things by Don Norman, <laughs> and then it goes on from there. Or another classic opener is, I first became interested in HCI uh, when I played a lot of video games as a kid, you know, dot, dot, dot. So I'm, I'm not saying that people who write letters like that don't get into the program because they do, but those are probably the most common ones. I also get um, requests for uh, information like emails from um, students who basically lay out their whole application in the email and then they, they conclude by saying, can I apply? And well, of course you can comply. You, you can apply to the program, but um, you know, I'm not gonna, what they really wanna know is, is this gonna get me into the program? You know, I'll say, yeah, you can apply. Um, and I'll, I might say something about what our, our standards are. Um, and then I'll ask you questions like, my background is in X, and X may be something like, not directly related to HCI, but it really depends. You know, it, it depends on what their goals are, maybe what other kinds of experiences they've had. You know, I haven't got a, a request from someone with a background in finance who wanted to do a career transition. And that might work. You know, we wouldn't admit all finance backgrounds into the program, but depending on their work experience, um, if they have work experience, that might be might be relevant. Or maybe they were a finance major undergrad, but they, um, in all their free time, they uh, develop websites and you know learn program. And you know, maybe it might be a good fit. So, those are probably my most typical questions. Again, lately there's questions about whether the GRE score is going to be required next year. I don't, and at, at this moment, we don't have approval for that. I'm almost certain it won't be required though for next year. Hmm. So a follow-up question to that. Um, what is like the craziest question you've received from a prospective student? <laughs> yeah, you know, since I've been getting these questions for, you know, six years now, um, Nothing really shocks me. <laughs> so, you know, you, I, I knew you were going to ask this question, so I went back and started looking at, at like recent questions, and none of them really seem out of line. I think the ones that miss the mark are when they refer to our program by the uh, acronym of different programs. Like we get a lot that call us EMSHI program. I think that's and I think that's Carnegie Mellon's program. And so I know that they're just like writing a letter and they're just sending it <laughs> to different schools and they forgot to make that, that change. So I know mistakes happen, but, uh, you know, be, be careful. 
proofread what, what you send. I I'd say it's even worse than the uh, personal statements when they uh, make reference to applying the Carnegie Mellon's program or University of Washington's program, you know, making a perturbed attack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. The other, I don't, this one isn't really crazy, but a lot of students ask about uh, what are the, the, the course requirements for the MSHCI program. You know, it's like, look at the Look at the website, it's all spilled out there. And um, I just got an email the other day, and apologies if whoever sent this is listening to this podcast for using you as an example. But um, the applicant, potential applicant said, I'd like to enter, and so this is like mid-June, I'd like to enter the program in August, but I can't find where to apply. We'll open up applications for a year from now, late summer. So. so I don't know how crazy those are, but those are, ones that kind of stand out. I don't know. I feel like those questions are pretty wild to me. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that it's really great that you like answer like every single question, Dr. Hemmen, really take the time to like point people to the right direction who are interested in the program. I know like a lot, some of us second years like lately have been getting messages from students, like prospective students who are interested in the program whether it's like because they want to transition careers or because they're coming from undergrad and they're interested in HCI. But I was always really surprised by everyone who, like going back to what you mentioned about those openers, like people who knew for a while that they wanted to do HCI. Because I feel like some of the people I've talked to in our cohort were like, oh yeah, we came across a blog post and it seemed like we didn't know the word for what we wanted to do, but HCI was what it was. But yeah, I admit, I think Hershelle and I have talked about design of everyday things. And I personally <laughs> have the copy, but I haven't read it. Oh, <laughs> come on. It's a classic. You need to read it. Yeah, I have some time, so I'll probably get on that soon. But yeah, so, so you've answered a lot of questions from prospective students, um, but kind of opening it up to all of our listeners, uh, we usually ask our guests to offer um, some piece of advice on the podcast. Um, so what's a piece of wisdom that you would like to share uh, with those interested, whether it's in specifically applying for grad school, um, being in grad school, or just joining UX and HCI in general? Yeah, yeah. So I think one is get to it. If you decide HCI is the career path for you, or you know, machine learning or analytics or law or whatever, just get started on it. You know, like I get... Um, notes from student from potential applicants who say, well, I think I want to take a year to work to get experience in HCI before I apply. And I, my typical response is just, just do it. If, if, if this is what you want to do, go for it. Don't wait. You don't like you're taking, entering this program to get a degree in H, master's in HCI. You're going to learn stuff here. And then you've got the rest of your life to get experience, working experience in it. But I don't think that there's always a great advantage in like being intentional about working for a year before you enter the program, if you know that's the direction you, you want to go. Like, uh, if, it could be, though, when you gradu graduate undergrad, you don't really know what you want to do. And then it completely makes sense to work for a couple of years to figure out what, what you want. But if, if you... Know that that's your career path. You don't need to like get experience before you apply for the program. We we admit students who have experience. We admit students who don't have experience. 
and you can be successful going both ways. Let's see. Oh, the other thing, for enrolled students, my advice would be when you're in the program, don't rush yourself. Take advantage of everything Georgia Tech has to offer. You know, I've seen students who, you know, come in, sign up for 18 credits in their first semester, and they're ready to graduate, you know, in a, in a year, but they can't because they have to do their master's project. But they're just, you know, there's so, so much that Georgia Tech can offer. The curriculum is such that you don't have to, like, load, load up. It's 36 credits over four, four semesters, so it's possible to kind of take your time and maybe take a course that won't necessarily count towards your degree, but it's something you're interested in. I think one thing that makes our program unique over some of the other programs is that it is four semesters with an internship in the middle. So, I, you know, I see a lot of students who come in convinced they want to do one thing, but because they kind of have this opportunity to explore other areas, they end up going in a different direction, say for someone who wants to do UX design coming in, ending up as a UX researcher. So I think the idea of taking advantage of everything Georgia Tech has to offer, plunging in, you know, getting involved in um, things going on at Georgia Tech, you're going to have the rest of your lives to devote to your careers. Uh, but this is like the chance you have to really devote to yourself and learning about everything you can about HCI. That's fantastic advice, uh, Dr. Henneman. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I agree with so much of that. And actually, you know, before sort of moving on, and now, do you want to add any of your advice? Now that you're a graduate of the HCI program as well, do you want to add to Dr. Henneman's list? <laughs> I mean, I was going to ask you, Herschel, if you had any advice. <laughs> no, I was going to ask both of you. <laughs> Dr. Hedeman really covered it all for me. I think I would second definitely the don't rush, don't rush like the process and then really take advantage of like all the different things on campus, off campus. Um, Cause like I came straight from undergrad and when I joined the program, like there was a lot of things I was looking to do in the sense that like, what could I do that I couldn't do? in undergrad because even though it was like another two years of school for me I was like this is going to be completely different because I did college within the school of business um, at the college at the university where I attended and it was like we didn't really write like academic many academic papers I didn't do much research or volunteer in that many labs I never touched like design tools or like physical design things and yeah I think just like really lean into anything you want to do, because even if you find out that you don't enjoy it or you don't like it, or if you're not good at it, like, that's okay. At least you tried it and you can like move on to something else instead of wondering if you could do it. I feel like I really feel the same way. And I think Dr. Henneman really put it well where you said, don't rush it. And now just like the example that you gave. No, I have to fully agree. I think my advice would be that, you know, when you're in academia, you have certain freedoms and certain liberties that I think you should really take advantage of. I think just the idea that you're in an environment that is like research forward and, and prioritizes research and learning above all else, you know, that in and of itself is so different from industry. And you're allowed to learn and fail and explore and, you know, sort of make mistakes and 
you're not going to have a million stakeholders, uh, you know, breathing down your net and saying, well, we invested months and we invested time and money and resources into a project that ultimately didn't maybe end up where it needed to. So I think taking advantage of a space where you can really make mistakes and learn from them is, I think, just like what the power of being in academia is. And I think like, this is advice that I got coming into grad school for HCI specifically, is that, you know, I knew that I wanted to be a researcher and I was coming in with a research background. But um, my manager at the time when where I was working before grad school, she said, go learn how to be a good designer, a good engineer, good writer, good PM, and that will make you a better researcher. So I, I hope I did this and I feel like I did this, but you know, Coming into grad school with the intention of learning all the other pieces of HCI will really fulfill you in the corner that you choose to sort of build your kingdom. Um, that was kind of advice that I got that was really valuable. I think that's, and I think that's really great advice, Arshali. I think one of the, again, one of the strengths of the program is the breadth of the, there's just like so many courses you can take. And I think to take courses that may be a little outside of your comfort zone or that may not be directly relevant to what you think you want to do can really be a, a, an enriching experience is going to benefit you. Or, you know, like to take a, a course from just a world-class faculty member that's in an area that you think you don't care anything about or uh, you may not, you know, be, have necessarily all the prerequisites for it and everything. But that can just be such a, a wonderful experience that can stick with you for um, for a long time. I, I know I reflect on my own background in grad school, and that was certainly the case where, you know, I, I remember taking a course in like experimental design or something. Uh, but the, the teacher was just so great and so passionate about it that um, it really stuck with me. And now I'm not doing that kind of formal statistical planning of experimental designs, but it certainly has influenced how I approach problem solving, I'd say. Also, I think you two are, are probably great prime examples of people who threw your, have thrown yourself into the, the program. Like, the, yeah, you've done the, the classes and the research, but also this podcast. You know, you've really, I know you put a tremendous amount of time and effort into this, but I think I'm guessing it's really opened your eyes to the breadth of possibilities in HCI. Absolutely. I think this podcast was definitely one of my highlights of grad school. And I know I think now feels the same way. We love this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it'll be hard to part ways with it um, shortly. But yeah, I, I did have a piece of advice I wanted to add as we were um, continuing chatting about this question. But I think people should just know that it's completely okay to not do what everyone else is doing. Because I, yeah. I found that Especially because, like, our your first semester in the HCI program, you take all the you take all the core classes together, and then after that, it's like you're kind of free to take whatever electives you want or the required courses within like your specialization, uh, whatever that may be. And I've just noticed, like, throughout my two years, that people might choose to take certain classes because it might help them develop a specific tool that they've heard from other people is that's really good. So everyone just kind of ends up taking the same thing, but. Like you mentioned, Dr. Hedden, like you mentioned, Harshali, if there's something you're really interested in that might not be directly related to HCI, like take that class or be part of that lab or whatever it is, because I found, at least from my experience, that there's a lot of things that end up being indirectly related to HCI, indirectly related to UX, and it actually helps me out 
in the long run. So I think people should just do whatever interests them um, and not really just follow what other people are doing. Yeah, I think I would really, you know, just to keep adding to this like list of advice, I think like you should also like kind of extend that to um, your projects as well. Don't be afraid to do projects that sound a little crazy and, you know, no one's really on board or no one really understands what you're trying to achieve. You know, your projects can be, especially your master's project, I would say, can be as visionary as out there as you want. And I think the master's project is honestly a great chance for you to try something ambitiously. And and if it fails, it fails. And that's like really fine, you know, Um, as long as you are able to show that process and show sort of how you failed in a systematic way. um, It's totally fine to do crazy stuff in school. And I think our projects are a great chance for us to push ourselves in terms of, you know, HCI and, and our own craft. Yeah, I, I completely agree, Harshali. I think the project, this is a chance when you can fail. I mean, fail is kind of in quotes. I think, as, as we always say about the project, it's, it's really about the process and that you're following the steps of a user-centered design process. And sometimes that's not, that's not going to turn out the way you think it is going to turn out. But you're still going to learn a ton in the process of doing it. Great. Yeah, well, I think that was a really cool discussion about, you know, people coming into the program or people who are in grad school right now. Hopefully that resonates with someone, someone out there. But as we are winding down this episode, it is time for our favorite part. And this is the last time we'll do it. Um, but this is our favorite part of every episode, the hot take. Um, so Dr. Henman, we would love to hear a hot take from you. And our question for you is, what is a myth about the program that people have that you think is absolutely not true? Um, what are some like preconceptions about the Georgia Tech HCI program that you would like to disprove or you think is just completely false? I have two things that I don't know how hot these are, <laughs> but the first one is that you're going to learn to become a visual designer in this program. This is something a lot of students and I'm not sure where people get this idea because I think there's so much more to HCI than visual design. That's kind of like the tip of the tip of the iceberg. But there's a lot of students who tell me they're disappointed that they didn't have the opportunity to learn to be a visual designer. And I think that really goes outside the scope of what we're trying to do in the program. I think you you can develop visual design skills and there's courses where you can learn you know, if you don't know anything about visual design, you can learn some basics. And, you know, some people can become better visual designers, but we're not going to teach you in a two-year master's program how, how to become a visual designer. We're going to teach you about a lot of aspects of, of HCI design in the process, but not, not necessarily um, how to transform someone who doesn't know anything about visual design into an expert visual designer. I'd love to hear if you guys have any thoughts on, on that from your own experience. I know both of you are more interested in research uh, than what you might have heard from your peers, too. Matt? Yeah, coming into the program, like I was also one of those people who were interested in more UX design. But personally, I like I don't like visual design. <laughs> Maybe that's my hot take, which Ooh, is like somewhat related. <laughs> Definitely like necessary. And like I think it's like the icing on the cake, like as you're doing 
UX design in general. But what I've heard from our peers is, yeah, I think I would agree with that, Dr. Hen. Like there are some of our fellow classmates who I think had this idea that they would get like a crash course in visual design almost, or at least like learn how to use certain visual design tools. But then even some of the visual design classes we do offer, I think it's like up to you to choose what tool you want based on what I've heard. Um, But maybe like someone's already well-equipped in Illustrator, but they wanted to learn Sketch or like they're really good in Sketch and Figma, but they are interested in like other design tools. But I think maybe extension of that is maybe people's perceptions of UX design is that it's mostly UI design. And that Mm -hmm. definitely gets debunked in the program, I think. Hmm. But I think it points to like a larger myth I think people have about the program is that, you know, like in HCI and even even within the set of like skills that go into user experience work, you know, people think that they'll come into this program and like people will be just teaching them these things, you know, whether it's design or research, um, anything else. But I think like you have to take a more active approach, I would say. If you want to learn visual design, there are opportunities to do that at Georgia Tech. But ultimately, you do have to seek them out yourself and like pursue them. And like, if you want to choose anything and you want to be better at anything, I think you do have to pursue it actively and and make those opportunities happen. And I think that's like a a myth that a lot of people sort of believe in maybe coming into this program. Yeah. And related to that, I think sometimes there's an expectation that there'll be, um, you know, more instruction on specific tools, like, you know, how to use or, you know, that there'll be classes in that. But that, that's not what's in a graduate program. I mean, the expectation is you can pick those kind of skills up on your own, or maybe there's a tutorial you can take or something, but it's, it's never going to be a focus of uh, an academic course to, uh, at the master's level to teach those kind of tools. Um, you'll have opportunity to develop those skills but there's some expectation that you'll be working on that on, on your own. You know, I think that's one of the things that differentiates a master's program at a school like Georgia Tech from maybe some of the professional degree programs you can take that aren't, you know, master's programs. And so the idea is that we're, we're trying to instruct our students to prepare you for a career in HCI and those tools and methods and all that's going to change over time. Uh, but what we want to do is give you the intellectual uh, tools to be able to adapt to that and learn new things so that you can have a long-lived career in HCI UX. Definitely agree with that. Um, in the last few minutes now, do you have a hot take that you want to share? I don't know. It's hard to top Dr. Hedman's. I feel like that was a pretty <laughs> spicy take. <laughs> I've got another one. Oh, yeah. Please share. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give it to you. We'll call this now. It's hot. Okay. <laughs> it is. No, you can. We'll still give you the opportunity. It's that you, you, and I kind of talked about this before that you need experience to apply to the program. Yeah, you know, I, I hear that from a lot of of applicants. That yeah, you know, like I said before, half of our students are coming in directly from undergraduate, and that isn't like a conscious decision we're making, like we have to have exactly half. It's just kind of the way it works out. So I encourage you, if you are a, uh, this is an area you're passionate about, that go ahead and apply. Yeah, I I definitely feel like it's easy to think of a professional program as like 
wanting professionals already <laughs> rather than creating professionals. Um, so I can see how people might believe that. Or Charlie, I, do oh, you have a hot take? Do I have a hot take? Um, let's see. I, ooh, okay. Uh, the hot take that I would say is that HCI and user experience are not the same thing. If you're coming to this program, you should expect HCI to a certain extent, and there will be elements of user experience there, of course, but there is a difference <laughs> between the two. And I think if you're only looking for a program that hones you as a UX researcher or a UX designer and like focuses on that subset of skills, I think you know, you'll really have to craft the, the program to be that for you because HCI is more than, more than just user experience. I completely agree with that. I think, <laughs> like, I, I tend to use the terms interchangeably, or I'll say HCI and UX just because it's easier. Uh, and I don't need to, like, explain the subtleties of the distinction, but I think that what the point you made, Arshali, is exactly. I mean, I think that could be another podcast episode. What's the difference between HCI and UX? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great idea. Now, did you think of one? Um, yeah, it's very quick, and it's it's similar to Dr. Hedeman's take about like people expecting that they'll learn visual design. I think on the same wavelength, people expect that they will get an internship from the program, like as if it will be given to them, kind of. Oh yeah. Or you get like all, but I think it's the same thing of like the program will prepare you to do the work. I think in an internship, but actually getting it that's on you as a grad student. Yeah, I think I I think that's a good observation. I, I do hear that from from students. Like maybe not exactly students saying, well, "Where's my internship?" Because it really depends on the economy. It depends on what companies are looking for, how available those are. But it does come down to a lot of hard work on the part of students to you know to do the research to figure out what jobs are available and to put themselves forward to, to find those positions. I think if I know it's a really frustrating experience for students, especially when the word I've heard people say, you know, at the beginning of fall semester, well, you need to get your portfolio together now because companies are hiring, you know, you need to find your internship right away. And a lot of companies don't even put those out until sometime in the spring. And that can lead to a lot of tension, I know, on the part of students, which is unfortunate. Oh yeah, job hunting, internship hunting. Yeah, we did a whole series on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lots of we won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a rough time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just rough out here. But all right, so now that we've kind of shared our hot takes and our advice, um, we just want to give a huge, huge thank you to Dr. Henneman for joining on this episode of the HC Hive. Um, we had a lot of fun talking about, you know, just everything about the program and where it's come from and what you've turned it into. So thank you so much for everything that you do for this program. Well, thank you very much. I've, uh, this has been fun this, uh, today for HCI Hive After Dark. And again, I'm really appreciative for what you, Harshali, and now have, have done. It has been a tremendous addition to the MSHCI program. So thank you. And I wish you the best of luck in your careers. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you again for joining us. Um, and thank you for being such a big supporter of the podcast this past year. Um, I think both of us couldn't have done it without you, Dr. Henman. And to all of our listeners out there, thanks for tuning in to one of our special bonus After Dark episodes. Because if you know, you know. And if you don't, yikes. Yikes. <laughs>